Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick. And today's guest is Jason Schaefer, who's the owner of Holy Lamb Organic. Hi, Jason. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on here. Thank you for joining us. We're huge fans of Holy Lamb Organics, and I'm so excited to share about your company with our audience. Do you mind sharing with us what Holy Lamb Organics is? Sure, sure. Uh, so Holy Lamb Organics was started uh, in the year 2000 um, by Willa Witten, who's the founder of the company. And we, we make wool bedding, wool comforters, wool toppers, wool pillows. And we've started making some latex mattresses recently with using wool as well. And uh, the company's got a cool origin story in that it was founded by Willow after she'd finished up college. She was actually about to go camping and was looking for a lightweight wool pillow that she could take with her on a long backpacking trip to celebrate her uh, completion of school. And while she was looking around and shopping around trying to find a pillow that was made out of wool because it's lightweight, it's durable, and it's comfortable, she couldn't find anything that were of good quality. It was just a bunch of polyester or down pillows that she didn't want to take with her. So she actually spent the entire uh, backpacking trip kind of working on a business plan in her head for how do I get you know wool products back into the market and so when she came back, she actually had the plan for Holy Lamb Organics in her head and then actually didn't have any money to start the company like many uh, young entrepreneurs. Uh, so she actually said what she had, she bought a bus, an old school bus, and she would drive from trade shows to trade shows in the bus. And then she would be building product in the back of the bus at the uh, shows. So she'd be back there ripping, pulling the fabric and ripping it into the sizes that she needed for pillows and comforters. She'd be filling it with wool batting, hand tufting it, and then sewing it shut right there in front of people that were, you know, at the trade shows looking to buy uh, those kinds of products. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. We're huge fans at the fullest of just appreciating these like centuries old traditions and rituals and so we just love that you guys take on this time-honored approach and um, I'd love to know just kind of how you stepped into the mix and did she learn the craft from like where did she learn about this from and can you also just like share how the difference I mean we'll get into this later but like you said she searched all over the place and everything, even like everything eco-friendly right now is polyester mm-hmm. or recycled polyester. It's None of it's actually good for you, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas wool is actually naturally antimicrobial and has all these benefits and, um, you know, insulated and all that, all those amazing benefits that I'm sure we'll get into. But how did she learn about the methods and then kind of how did you guys fall into the mix? Sure, sure. So so Willow actually went to a local college out here called Evergreen State. Um, and it's kind of an alternative college that's focused less on, you know, learning how to go get a job in the world and more of how to uh, connect with some of the old processes and the old techniques and the old ways of doing things. And so one of the courses she took was on sewing and was on textile work. And so she got in contact. That's how she learned about the wool and all the important properties of it. And so she kind of connected it from there. And then it just grew from that, just you know, one, a one-semester class kind of a deal, grew into her, her career. And she actually grew it from just herself as the employee up to having 20 employees. And my wife and I, who we were running a company up north of where Holy Lamb is, uh, 
and we'd been working with her because the company we were working with, we made a lot of mattresses and we couldn't really do the comforters and the pillows very well. So we worked with her to, with Willow to kind of get that set up a little bit more and work on partnerships. And Willow, had, she'd been running it very well for that time, but she was after, I think it was, it was 17 years that she'd been running it, she was ready for a break. And my wife and I at that time, after we kind of, she had uh, issues with uh, the the flame retardants in the mattress that we bought and we couldn't figure out what was what was the problem normally she was she slept just fine didn't snore didn't wake up with headaches or any congestion um and yeah after we bought a, a memory foam bed it took us months to figure out what it was but uh she had negative health uh impacts from it and we you know we did everything in our house we kept it meticulously clean we even kicked the dogs out of our bedroom which was you know sacrilege in our household the dogs are basically our kids and it turned out you know nothing was helping i think was getting worse for her and then the company we were working at someone returned to bed and i just took it home and it was a all wool or it was a wool and latex mattress and that night my wife slept fine she didn't snore she didn't wake up in the morning with uh headaches like she'd been having the whole time and so that was our kind of conversion point for this industry and so after talking with willow and her needing a break, really, uh, we just came in and offered to um, take over the company. And so we've been running it now since 2017, so we're in our fifth year now. And yeah, we've been, it's been great working with it. We're both also very connected. I mean, our, our core guiding things is you know sustainability uh, and transparency. My business, I have an MBA with a focus on sustainable business, and so I spent my entire time at that level learning how to run small operations like this that have a very tight supply chain um, because you know there's not a lot of industry that's built up right now for wool production or wool processing so it's one you really have to you can take a lot of shortcuts and so basically the whole program was tied around ways of being creative so that you can get the most you can out of a tight supply chain and that's been very helpful during these past years of covid because we've had uh, uh, a, a lot of hustle to just get the products to the customers in the past few years. Yeah, I'm sure. I noticed during COVID, I started, you know, going to our local farm stands and different local eco-friendly stores. And there's just like a lot of different uses for wool and different companies that are bringing out wool products from like wool sponges. Yep. And um, drying pads and all sorts of things. So I really got into it um, during that time, which is exciting. So I just feel like it's just a lot more people are becoming more aware of the various uses. But I think in general, you know, people are understanding that there's at least our audience that there are flame retardants in you know everyday furniture and our bedding on our couches um there are companies coming out like avocado mattress for example they're doing great things but there's still a really big difference between a wool mattress and you know what these other companies are putting out or other certified organic bedding companies so can you share a little bit about that with us sure i've been in this industry now for about 11 years and i've visited several of the big the big players in this space their facilities um, and really what makes holy lamb unique to all of them is we actually offer tours for people to come in and you can come see where we're building the comforters and the the toppers and everything it used to be our showroom floor 
So it's a really significant difference between us and a lot of the other people, other players in the world is most of their facilities are locked to the public. You're not going to get in there. You can request a tour and you might get some of a smaller portion of it. The other thing that's unique is that our building that we build out, it's called The Little Bit, and it used to be a general store. It was built in the early 1900s and has had a cool history to it. It was a general store where some of them are... Uh, more senior employees that are working there, they used to buy candy from it when they were kids. Like that was their treat in rural Washington to go out to the little bit and buy candy from the shop. Um, And then from then it was converted into uh, a leather repair shop. And then from there it was a movie store for a little while. And so it's, there's a history and a connection to what we have, whereas a lot of the other places that I've been to, you know, it's just a a random commercial building where they're they're building in there. Um, And there's, Less kind of there's less less soul to it, uh, less connection to the community. Connection to is really the the nature of what they're doing. Yeah, like you guys are really sharing about this century old craft process, and like you said, have soul into what you're doing, have this personal connection, and you know, have this building that has this history to it. Like you're saying, it's more exciting to come and experience all of that and see from, like who the makers are uh-huh. and everything that sounds so amazing yeah and like we we write our names of whoever builds the product their name is on the tag that's eventually going to end up in the customer's home and it's not you know a cheap tag it's uh made out of cardstock and it looks nice and it's something that you can keep with you as kind of a the continuation of the the, the you know we, we put attention to detail in every step to try and make sure the quality and the connection is there that's amazing do you think that wool is like i said you know it's gaining popularity but do you see it kind of like taking over in a bunch of different sectors like i know that there's because you have your mba in sustainability so what are different benefits to using wool in different applications than other materials like for example i know that wool insulation is amazing and an option do you think like you said can we be set up to have that available basically. Yeah. I mean, the whole world lived on wool before the 1950s. I mean, all we have to do is kind of go back to see how people lived at the beginning of the 19th century. Um, Cause it was when it was in the, the sixties when the polyester revolution kicked off and that was where cheap fashion kind of got its roots and coming from because, you know, all of the, the plants and the facilities that needed to do something after they were, you know, building bombs and weapons for world war II, they had to shift to something and so a lot of them turned into making polyester, which was a fiber that came out in the late 50s uh, as just a synthetic fiber that came through to just replace everything. And it's kind of, a, it has a grisly history that has been buried pretty good. But if you go back and look at, you know, those flame retardants that got put into especially kids' clothes, people were having accidents because they were wearing the polyester clothes. And if they were near any open flame, polyester carries a high flame load, which is why, you know, polyester beds, memory foam, and anything made from a petrochemical, that's why they need extra flame retardants in them, especially for the mattresses, um, but even for clothing, even for, for your furniture in your house. And that's just a result of this flame load that's there. Oh my God. So that's why wool doesn't need the flame retardant at it. And, and so we actually have seen it. I've seen it firsthand with, because uh, when you get a mattress tested by 1633, which is the flame... Uh, regulation that the feds put out where basically they take a blowtorch to the side of the bed and it's supposed to replicate a house fire and it's supposed the bed can't hit a certain heat index 
um, over you know over a 30 minute test. And so when they tested our beds, I've tested one within the past five years, and then five or six way back in the day. But they basically you have to watch the film, which is painful because it's like you're literally watching a bed you built be lit on fire, and you're forced to sit there and watch it. Uh, but when you burn beds that are, have the wool insulation around them, that the only time the bed is actually warm is when it's being lit on fire by the blowtorch. And then after that, you can immediately see the temperature dropping versus the polyester beds, which you can see everywhere with the rayon barriers or formaldehyde glues in there that is not going to get it to catch on fire, or even some of the powders that are now popular to use. Um, they hit they come like within a couple degrees of the unacceptable heat range. Um, and then it's usually once the 30 minute test is over, that's when they just completely ignite kind of a deal. So they're built to pass the test kind of a deal where our products are built to never catch on fire. Like uh, even if, you know, not that anyone has wool, it, the wool insulator we use, it's actually uh, a different process than what we use in our uh, toppers and pillows and comforters. It's actually needle felted. And so it's basically wool that's just been really tangled uh, on itself. And it's a cool fiber, but we've done tests on it too where we've tried to you know, light it on fire. And there's even Janice Arnold, who's a wool artist, uh, who's a, a good website to go and check out. She's got millions of things uh, on wool. Her entire life has been built on fiber arts using wool. Wow. But yeah, she did an exhibit where she actually took a blowtorch and was and lit tried to light some of the wool insulator on fire and then hung it up as like, this is you know a demonstration of how powerful this fiber is. And we were, we were using wool from you know, basically before the 1950s back to the beginning of you know, animal domestication. Like we realized that early on that it's a very powerful fiber and that we should be using it. I mean, that's why sheep can live everywhere in the world. Um, we've taken them everywhere we have gone in, in wow. history because of how powerful their fiber is. Wow. Okay. So what do you say, you know, we get this a lot where obviously what you're sharing is that the new age or not, I don't know if I call it new age, but anyways, the, what they've done is basically they're saying, you know, these recycled fabrics, recycled polyester that they're using, but really it's still polyester. It's detrimental to our environment. They're using formaldehyde, all of these materials that they're using in these mattresses that are then considered, you know, it's more accessible, but to me, they just have these external costs that are horrible for our health and the environment. Whereas the wool mattresses that are being created, all the costs that are associated with it are just being shown because they're not being subsidized, right? The other stuff's just basically being subsidized. And exactly. Yeah. So there's, you know, this idea, obviously, because it's expensive, of course, that it is elitist and not accessible to everyone. But if we actually calculate all the costs associated with it and what's actually going on, it should be equal. And um, what it like, what do you say about that? Because again, that goes back to the scalability and goes back to kind of redoing and um, restructuring the way that we're building and creating these um, products from you know the ground up again and kind of like obviously that starts with educating people inspiring owners and founders such as yourself to then go on to build businesses that do this and hopefully continue to grow that so that it becomes more accessible and by scale but yeah what is like your um, thought process on all that sure 
Um, I mean, this this was a big topic when I was in school of how do you factor in the environmental cost in addition to the financial cost, and what's that calculus? And you know, people are, talk about the current industries and the current way everything is with polyester as you know that that is scalable and that's where everything is moving to. But financially, it's scalable. Environmentally, it is not. And we're you know, it's still a frustratingly a divided topic. But uh, like global warming, I mean, look around. The Northwest never has days that are 100 degrees or more, and then we've already, you know, we've already had them so far this year. We had a 110 degree day last year. All the trees in my neighborhood had burns on them, uh, sunburns from the the heat. And so it's like you look around, and it's like our current way of life is maybe, you know, for some screwy reason, financially viable um, because there's you know huge subsidies to get oil and oil derivatives into the country, you know, they're made overseas and, you know, people are, even the, the recycling of the plastic bottles is shipped overseas to do it in some poor country that there's no nothing else for them to do but accept our garbage and then turn it into something that maybe we'll then buy later and then ship it back to us. And then we're taking it and putting it in a dog bed or we're putting it in someone's pillow saying, Congratulations, we got one more use out of this, you know, piece of uh, plastic that should never have been used in the first place. I mean, I like to think of when I look around, like after a concert or after some sort of a venue, and there's all the water bottles sitting there, and someone took one sip out of it. And it's like, do you know how much work went into environment, you know, not even work, but how much environmental cost went into making that? And then A, you barely drank out of it, and then B, you left it there as though it's not even worth your time to recycle or do anything with. But then, you know, great, I'm glad we're getting another use out of it before it ends up in, you know, as part of the giant island of plastic in the Pacific. But at the same time, it was like, how long are you going to use that pillow that's got polyester fill in it? Or if they listen to this yeah. podcast and like, oh, no, I don't want this now. Well, what do you do with it? Yeah. Uh, whereas what's great about our wool products and like wool is totally scalable. There are millions of hectares of space uh, in this in the United States alone where more sheep would be great. I mean, it would help in a lot of the areas where we're having the wildfires right now. If we get some critters in there grazing and actually eat the stuff rather than, uh, you know, having it build up a flame load. It's totally scalable. We were using it for up until, you know, 60 years ago. We just need to get back. I mean, we need to reinvest in the infrastructure to process the wool because what still kills me the most here is, I mean, the biggest thing hindering the scalability is uh, the scouring facilities. So this is what happens to clean the wool. So basically it goes from the farmer, they shear the wool, and then they uh, ship it to what's called a scouring facility where it gets cleaned. And in these facilities, that's basically the one we use is in Texas, and it's the one everybody uses. So no matter where you are uh, growing your, your, you know, raising your sheep and shearing them, you have to go to this facility. The problem is, it's in the send, you know, it's in the panhandle of Texas, and so I've got people up in Canada that are sending their wool down there to be processed. We send our wool that's raised in the Northwest down to Texas, and then it's shipped back up to us just to be cleaned because there's no facility up here. And so that's where investing in the infrastructure for wool is is key, and that's what I've been pushing. We're working with our local, uh, one of the local counties out here who has a wastewater processing uh, facility. And so they have a lot of gray water left over that could be used to wash the wool for all intents and purposes. But, uh, you know, they need us to commit to X amount of wool in a year to do this. And us as one small shop can't do it. But if I can connect up with enough people on the West Coast or locally in Canada, we might be able to get that going. But again, it just takes more of the, uh, you know, investment in the infrastructure. 
um, which has unfortunately all been shipped overseas for the most part um, because a lot of manufacturing and a lot of these heritage crafting deals have either been you know outsourced overseas or um, just abandoned because polyester in theory is so cheap and uh, you know I did air quotes there for cheap um, and that's just yeah. what what the industry does. Hi everyone, welcome again to the Fullest Podcast. As you may or may not know, we've been sharing the benefits of saffron with our community for a little while now, and I want to offer 15% off our entire product line to our podcast listeners with code THEFULLESTPODCAST at checkout online at thefullest.com. Growing up in a Persian family, I'd always felt the benefit of saffron in my life, but it wasn't until I stumbled on the research that it made me realize what powerful medicine it is. Saffron has been proven over and over again in clinical double-blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. At the fullest, we believe that incorporating this ancient wisdom into our modern lives is the most powerful and accessible path to healing. We also believe that everyone's journey is unique, so our product line offers a variety of formulas to help you curate saffron into your personal wellness routine. Warm Feelings is our saffron latte powder and comes in individual sachets and in large sustainable glass jars. Featuring 150 milligrams of high-grade saffron in a creamy bed of coconut and cardamom, it's the perfect coffee alternative and feel-good start to your day. If you prefer to pop a pill, Kinder Thoughts is our 30-day supply of saffron capsules, and it's a super simple way to support your body and mood with the power of saffron. Not to mention, it's really amazing for headaches if you feel one coming on. Our saffron soaks are the latest addition to our product lineup, which include Exheal, our saffron salt bath blend, and Inheal, our probiotic-rich saffron milk bath blend. Soak in them to support your digestion, inflammation, and support your skin microbiome. Honestly, at the moment, I'm using each of these products on a daily basis depending on my needs. And to help you begin your saffron journey, we're offering a discount of 15% off just for our podcast listeners with code THEFULLESTPODCAST at checkout. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Do you think that the UK is set up to support more of this just because they've, you know, they use it a lot more there? Or do you think it's kind of shifted all over the world? It's definitely all over the world. I still think that the UK is fantastic. I mean, they were really the ones that, you know, drove a lot of the development of wool and the textile industry um, from really the Middle Ages up until the 50s. Um, I mean, their their sheep are great. The breeds that they've got are are great for you know providing the different micron sizes for the different uses, um, and and they do still have some of their machinery. Like some of the the mills that we're working with, they're getting their wool from uh, England, or they're running the batting because basically it's it's a three step process. First, you have to shear the sheep, then you have to get the wool cleaned, and then you have to convert it into the wool batting or the wool insulator, which is, that's two different processes. But the facilities to do that are far and few between. 
India is now putting a lot of effort into producing more wool and more wool batting. Um, but again, I, I, I'm super supportive of every country having their own wool industry uh, so that each industry or each country can kind of work with itself to produce it domestically. And if, they, if there's more room for it elsewhere, great, you can sell it everywhere else. But it's this hard piece of the distance. We got to get rid of the distance between, you know, that the item has to travel from the time it's, you know, on the sheep to the time it's getting to the customer's house. Because one of the crazy things for us is, you know, our wool just went down to Texas and then it was shipped back up to us uh, to be processed. And then as soon as we get an order online, somebody in Texas in Amarillo was buying it. So I'm like, <laughs> you that's know. so funny. Yeah, it needs to be localized. Uh huh. Uh huh. And so but that's also, yeah, more people um, in the industry to scale, to build and manufacture. Yeah, that's where I see the bottleneck in the next 10 years, because we're experiencing the same thing. I mean, I've been on our showroom floor. I've been on our phones talking to people for over 10 years. And in the beginning, it was why wool? This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why wool is important. Like they'd ask me, isn't that just sheep fur? kind of a deal. Um, yeah. And now it is completely changed to people calling me saying, yeah, great. I know you have wool. I love wool. You guys have the, you know, you guys sound like a great company. I want to buy from you. When are you going to ship it? So now I'm like, okay, I, you know, it's gone from, you know, romancing and talking about the wool and talking about the fiber and how great it is to now it's all logistics. It is all figuring out of how quickly can I get wool? What's the quality of it? How, you know, what are we going to have to do to make it perfect for the customer? it is no longer uh, trying to sell the fiber or trying to sell the organic. I spent a lot of time explaining the, the global organic textile standard that's got and why it's important to have it and uh, why it matters in the world. And now people come in, yeah, you're got certified. I like it. I want it. When can I get it? So yeah. we're definitely feeling that it has gone mainstream and now it's just the hurdle of making sure we have enough materials to, to fulfill orders. Can you share a little bit about um, just how it can be used in different applications. And do you think that Holy Lamb Organics is going to go into those different applications or kind of stick to the natural bedding world? It, it has a lot of uses. One of my favorite ones that I've been sharing with people recently, because we I just put in a bunch of uh, raised vegetable gardens in front of our house, um, and I put wool at the bottom. And that wool, it was just scrap from our facility. And that wool will actually... It's actually done a great job at helping retain moisture because wool can hold up to a third of its weight in moisture. And so, like, I only have to water once a day. Even when we're getting these 100-degree-plus days, the plants are just great, and I'm the envy of the neighborhood. Um, and it's because the wool's under there. And people that I've talked to who have been doing this for years, because we work with a lot of local uh, farmers, and they all have sheep. And because they can't sell wool to anybody because nobody really wants it, what they've actually been doing is they'll shear the sheep, and then they will bury it under the ground and use it on their farms. And then in a couple of years, you can actually dig it back up and it's like beautiful soil, like just super, wow. super dark, retains moisture super well. It just biodegrades. Wow. Um, and so that's where I see, like if we could start incorporating that, like even if you, you're raising sheep and you can't use their wool for, um, you know, cause really you want to wash the sheep 
within the same year that you uh, wash the wool, excuse me, within the same year that you shear them, because all that vegetable matter and other materials that get into the sheep fur, if you don't get it out within that first year, it really kind of solidifies on there. So there's a lot less of a, a value for it then. But just getting that to be used in some agricultural uses of using that for some of your compost or using yeah. that for, um, you know, rather than some of the fertilizers that you need. I wonder if it could be used to like, you know how you have to use some cover crop, but like maybe to on top rather than below as well. Uh huh. Yeah, just something to help with the the um, the soil erosion. Yeah. Yeah. It's great because if yeah, you just oh pour water gosh. on it, it's going to maintain its weight. But there, an endless use of wool. And I mean, if you just look back in history, go back before the fifties, and look how people lived, and wool was in every every part of their lives. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't the stigma that there is now about wool clothing being so scratchy just because the, the, the fibers were treated differently back then and processed in a way that worked for wool, not one that works for polyester and we're just gonna try and push wool through that same process. And like we've even seen it just in needle felting. Um, that's where you can take wool batting and you can dye it and you can color it however you wanna do. But we've seen people, uh, you know, needle felting, um, just little action figures that they can have and little toys yeah. that kids can play with, little stuffed animals. And it's not hard to do. So you fun. just need to spend an afternoon just basically stabbing a bunch of wool batting with a little needle. And that just tangles the fiber until you can get it to where you can build it into something. Yeah, very Waldorf. Yes, exactly. That's, that, that's, that's where my kids go. <laughs> they oh, both go to amazing. Waldorf school locally. Uh, <laughs> where is it? Where do you guys live? Eastern Washington? Uh, no, no. We're, we're Western Washington. We're, okay. The company is out of Oakville, Washington, which is about a half hour south of Olympia, Washington, which is where okay. we live. And then we are about an hour, an hour, one hour to four hours south of Seattle, depending on the, the current traffic. Wow. <laughs> My in-laws live in Seattle, so hopefully one day we'll be able to link up. Yeah, yeah, come on down. As I said, we do tours, and we're, we're always happy to, to bring people by and show them around. Since you have, like, an MBA in sustainability background, I'm just curious what your take is on, like, just how we're um, approaching climate change in general. Because I think about all of these textile companies, and even, like, I love how to you know, what Patagonia stands for, but they still use these like recycled plastic materials and they still use, um, what's it called? Like Teflon, even yep. though it's probably just like a different fabric for waterproofing. And that's a whole nother thing with wool, right? So I'm just curious, just like your goal with wool and how we can help, how you foresee Holy Lamb Organics continuing to like infiltrate and sharing with the climate change message. But I, my mind kind of goes to, we were talking about fire. So my mind kind of goes to all the spraying that happens now because you know you're talking about prevention when it comes to fire with the sheep but then um when a fire does happen all we do is just like spray fire retardant and the on the landscape and it's just so horrible for our health for the forest and i'm just curious like what your thought process is on like changing the processes that are in place currently with all that Sure. Well, the, the ended question. No, no, you're you're good. You're good. Uh, the crazy part of when I was doing the program was, I mean, the first thing you have to do is be upfront with people and with customers, with the public, with everything and let them know, like, you know, we currently use these recycled water bottles, for example, 
in this product. We are working towards finding a better solution for it. You know, because like it's not going to happen overnight, and companies are using you know businesses like Holy Land Organics or Avocado uh, to test the market to figure out do people want to do that? Because I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a market-driven society. I mean, we whatever our dollars go is wherever the you know bigger fish are going to invest in the next year. That's why when you go to the the freezer aisle at your uh, local grocery store, you're going to now see a bunch of you know frozen dinners that now you know low in uh, fats or contains no high fructose corn syrup or contains no hydrogenated oils. All these things because we've been whining and not whining, we've been petitioning and complaining and, and arguing for years that we don't want that in our food. And so the big fish they look at it and they're like, okay. We can see you don't want this, so now we're going to go through and we're going to make something different. The hard piece is we don't want the companies to do um, is, you know, kind of slide in a different way of like, okay, they don't want recycled water bottles, so we'll shred it up another time and we'll say that it's recycled, you know, it's recycled or re-shredded up water bottles that have been shredded up before, something to that effect of get creative with the process. It's more of trying to encourage them, and again, we do this with our dollar of like if we're demanding or pushing or not buying their Teflon wrapped uh, hiking gear because we want to try something else that has, uh, you know, some felted wool put in there, which would work great and it would keep the temperature regulation going on there better than the Teflon because there's more airflow there when you need it. But again, it would be finding small companies like that or just individuals just giving it a shot of like, hey, I can go out and I can find some... uh, some needle punched wool, I'll find a really thin micron size that would probably work pretty well in it and try it and test it in the market. Because once these big, that's what these bigger fish are looking for. They want to see what small companies are starting up to address this market. And if there is, you know, they're market driven. So if there's money to be made there or if there's an opportunity to partner or buy them out or do that, that's how they get pulled into it. I mean, I, I would love to think that Patagonia or some of the bigger fish have their their tech people or their their, their fiber uh, analysts going through and, and looking at this. But at the end of the day, I don't know if they have those departments or if they're just looking for other organizations that are out there, other companies that are out there, other just entrepreneurs that are sitting there saying, hey, I have a good product kind of a deal and have prototyped it. So it's really, for us, yeah. for us, I would love to do all of these things. But again, it's my wife and I running the company. We have two, uh, we have a God, six and an eight-year-old that we also like spending time with. And yeah. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, you know, we want to break too. Um, so what we kind of view our position in the market is doing things like this and educating people and trying to get people out there to be like, okay, yeah, I don't like that this is polyester. It doesn't sit well with me that my sweatshirt is basically, uh, you know, it's a, a polyester sweatshirt with flame retardants wrapped inside of it so that if I happen to walk by an, uh, a candle, it doesn't ignite and, uh, you know, have, cause me to have a very bad day. Our, our goal is just to educate and get people to understand that things used to be different and we need to kind of connect with that past and connect with that heritage of, you know, Number one, knowing that there's different fiber options out there. And number two, respecting where we get the fiber from so that we're not you know, uh, growing the market to the downside of the sheep that used to be just hanging out on a farm. And then now it's like, oh, there's money in wool. So let's put them in a cattle feeding operation like cows and pigs and chickens yeah. unfortunately live in. Because like that would be my worst nightmare if we work all this hard to get this industry growing. And yeah. then we see that we've detrimentally impacted the the lifespan of you know the very critters that gave us our lifeblood or our you know our yeah. our cause 
Do you think that Marina Wool is like that kind of industry is the same as what we're talking about? Or you think that there's just still not enough of it for that to happen to the sheep? Yeah, I don't I don't think that it's happened to that point yet, just because I mean, I'm sure it is happening for sheep that are raised for meat rather than the sheep we use, which are raised for their fiber. Because, again, with those feeding operations, their goal is to increase the weight as quickly as possible so that they can sell it as quickly as possible. Versus with with fiber, I mean, the hair grows. It has to be, the sheep have to be sheared twice a year, regardless of what they're eating. So I don't think in terms of having the sheep's purpose be for fiber rather than meat, uh, you're going to, you're not going to have as many, you're not going to have that risk, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we kind of, um, we haven't talked about the benefits of wool. So before we wrap up, I wanted to see if you could share, you know, we've talked about the different applications and obviously it it can be used for so many things, but what about the benefits of, you know, having wool bedding and mattress and everything made from wool? Sure. So, I mean, there's, there's the, the benefits to the customer, which are, it's, you know, it's antimicrobial. The, and thankfully, sheep have built up an immunity to or resistance to uh, dust mites. So you're not going to have any dust mite issues when you're sleeping on wool bedding. The temperature regulation is amazing just because like in my wife and I's situation, I'm, I sleep cold and my wife has a radiator. Uh, and whenever we go to a hotel or something where we're underneath a polyester blanket or comforter, my God, I have to just be completely out of the blanket kind of a deal in order to be in the same bed. But when we're at home with our wool topper and our wool pillows and wool comforter, uh, you know, we can be right up next to each other and there's no, um, no issues. Like I, I sleep very cool in that situation. And so that, those are the biggest ones for just in terms of the customer. Uh, there are also, and it's not backed up by science, so I don't really spend a whole lot of time toting it, but I mean, I've been selling these products for over 10 years and listening to customers, just getting a better, more, they can't describe it as more of just a holistic feel of a better wellness after resting on it. Uh, they they just feel, wake up more clear headed than they're accustomed to. Again, that would largely be called foo-foo, uh, in some circles, um, but not ours. <laughs> okay, perfect. In in terms of just you know the the cycle that you're now a part of, which is kind of my thing of everything is a cycle, of like you have that product. If it you know if an accident happens on it, it's you know you can spot clean it uh, using natural cleaners. You know, rubbing alcohol will take care of any scent. Uh, hydrogen peroxide will bleach it back to its its natural color, uh, or a little whiter than its natural color, but still it'll bleach out any spots. Um, and then if it does start to take an impression or compress a little bit, just take it outside and put it in the sun or even in your house in a window in the sun. And you can watch the fibers of the wool actually expand back out and bring some life back to the, the product. And then at the end of the day, I mean, everything, everything has an end of life. And still my favorite thing that I can tell people is when you get to the point where, you know, this product is no longer working for you, you can just take it and put it in your compost bin. And it's going to turn in, you know, that your everything of your local ecosystem is going to thank you for it. Um, wow! Because it can it can use it. Um, or in your garden. <laughs> or in your garden, exactly. Yeah, if you yeah. have a garden, then yeah, break it up into some bits and bury it a little bit, and you're gonna have some 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 golden soil here pretty soon. My son is obsessed with firemen. I mean, he's four years old, but like he's been obsessed with it from day one, and we live by a fire station, so. My world involves just like everything firemen. I go there and because of that, I think about um, everything associated with fires and like 
down to their clothing. So can you share, just because you shared about, you know, watching a wool mattress catch on fire and the end result of it, can you share a little bit if you happen to know the history of just like the uniforms that firemen have worn and um, if they use wool or if they used to? Sure, sure. I mean, and I'm, I'm 98% sure because I actually took my boys to a uh, local fire department a couple weeks ago um, and they did the whole, got the whole tour and saw their gear and they did have wool in there that they're still using underneath that outer protective layer. I believe historically that was some sort of a hardened leather um, that was just resistant to uh, catching on fire. Uh, but underneath that is a wool lining, and it's a perfect, perfectly suited for this because, again, it's going to wick away the moisture extremely well like it does in wool bedding, but then it's also flame resistant. So in a scenario where they're close to flames and it could ignite, the wool's not going to ignite, so they're fine there. Uh, and it's again, it's a good thermal barrier, so not, none of the heat's going to get through. It's a great fiber for firefighters, and the, the fire department that we have out here in, uh, in up in Tacoma, that's what they showed my boys was the wool lining that was through there. And I'm I need to do some more research. It's been about five or six years since I looked into this, but there was a big lobby of firefighters who were petitioning to take the chemical flame retardants out of household furnitures. Because you got to remember when the fire the firefighters are the ones running into the house to save everybody when there's yeah. a fire, and so they're going to breathe in. You know, a lot. Hopefully, they have the respirator on and everything is working. But God forbid something happens and they, you know, they lose it or there's a situation and they have to breathe all that in. They're breathing in all those toxic chemicals because it's you know it's in a stable form when it's in a powder or uh, the fill or whatever it is in the couch or in the bed. But then once it's in, on fire. I mean, it's just releasing all those free radicals over all those noxious gases, and they're the ones breathing it in. So there was, a, I want to say it was like 2014, 2015, where it got some attention of, it was like, a, you know, and it had a bunch of firefighters who were maimed, basically. Their lungs can't process enough oxygen anymore, or they're scarring tissue in there uh, to where they can't be firefighters anymore as a result of breathing in these noxious chemicals. So it was kind of a big push. Wow. Uh, to just bring awareness of this because it's like your couch is you know saturated in these chemicals to make sure that it passes the federal regulation so that if it catches on fire you have at least three to 20 minutes to get off of it uh, before it's going to ignite and then be a you know not only a fire in your house but now you know spewing out noxious chemicals that's crazy that's amazing that they it got some attention and hopefully we can um help bring that back because not only is it like we started this podcast saying it's detrimental to the firemen and our health overall um even when it's not on fire but it's detrimental to the environment and when it gets on fire it's detrimental to the people that we rely on to rescue us and that's just them in the house i mean think about the neighbor like your whole neighborhood is now going to be breathing in these chemicals yeah, um, it's like, and probably what happens with a forest fire the next year, uh -huh. right? When it catches on fire, then all the animals, everyone that's breathing in now flame retardant that is on fire. Ugh, so crazy. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. We are huge, huge fans of yours. We can't wait to watch you guys grow and educate more and more people and hopefully more and more people are you know excited to support the industry and help the manufacturing and scaling of the business and we're yeah just grateful that you took your time with us today 